to describe how great you are, and that we could give you a tribute and praise for how great you really are. But I trust that you will take our words and our expressions and our attitudes and our hearts and our voices as a way of expressing to you how delighted we are to be in your presence and how overwhelmed we are. Can't even imagine what it's going to be like someday when we stand around the throne from every tribe and every language and tongue and nation and personally see you and lay our crowns at your feet to be able to enjoy the family of God from around the world, the lives of the people that we will never meet, but whose lives have been touched because we've given or prayed or gone. And I look forward to that day. In the meantime, receive our praise and our adoration. You are an amazing God. And when I saw you this week show up in so many different ways, it's just a delight to be your servant and to be called your friend. And so we're delighted that we can call you our God who loves us and cares about us passionately and gave us life so that we can have life and celebrate that life today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said to you on a number of occasions, when you read the book of Acts, you need to see it as more than a history book. But you need to see it as a lesson to be learned. Thoughts that are shared that can be applied to us as well. Not something that we just put on a shelf somewhere and say, wasn't it wonderful to see what God did then? But isn't it awesome that that same God is the God who works today? The God that we love and adore, the God they celebrated, the God that was there and ministered among them and then left and then empowered them to be able to carry on that ministry wasn't done yet. He wasn't done yet with the disciples. He wasn't done yet with the apostles. He wasn't done yet when the disciples ended in ministry and when they died. He continues to do that down through the ages to people like you and I who are called by God, empowered by God, embracing God as our Savior, and then have the opportunity to share that to see lives that change forever. It's awesome to be a part of the family of God and awesome to be able to take these words and unpack them and see what God's able to do because we still believe in the same God. And what he said to them is what he's saying to us. There are a number of things during Jesus' ministry that he said to the disciples going to happen. A couple of them are really coming to life as you begin to open the book of Acts. On one occasion, in John chapter 14, he says something to them that I've often wondered if they believed at the moment. He looked at the disciples and said to them, Greater things than I have done you will do because I go to the Father. Greater things than I have done you will do because I go to the Father. And what's he going to go to the Father to do? Send his Spirit, which he promised here in the book of Acts that we saw come. I've often wondered what it was like for the disciples to hear those words. Greater things than you have done, we will do. Lord, we had one guy come with his son. We couldn't heal him. How on earth are we going to do greater than you have done? We saw you take some loaves of bread and some fish and feed 20-some thousand people. Jesus, we saw you raise the lame. We saw you heal the blind. We saw you bring life back to someone who was dead. We saw you do some incredible things. Jesus, don't you know we were there? We watched you do all of that. How on earth could you ever say to us, greater things will we do than you have done because you go to the Father? What will that be like? And then I've often wondered when it began to happen in the book of Acts, what they thought. Oh, this, this lame guy walking, thousands responding to the gospel. Hundreds coming to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God landing. 
people from all walks of life and all different backgrounds coming together as a family. God, this is that? I can't believe this. I can't wait to see what you do next. But what he promised them in John 14 is now coming to life in the book of Acts. But he also made another promise or a prediction in the Gospels that he said, I need you to know this. Not everyone's going to respond to this truth. Not everyone's going to receive it well. Not everyone's going to like you. Some are going to hate you. Some are going to persecute you. Some will put you in jail. Someone will beat your back. And someone may kill you because of this message. So I need you to know both sides are true. And I need you to know that both things that I said will come to light. I just want you to know that up front. You're going to do some unbelievable things. You will see God land in amazing ways. But I also need you to know you're going to pay a high price for that. Are you willing to do it? There was an occasion, I think it's in the book of John, where Jesus was preaching and really began to share with all those who followed him. There were way more disciples than 12. You know that, right? A lot of people came to hear Jesus speak. There was one occasion where he was speaking to them, and it seemed to get more and more difficult to receive the words he was saying. You're talking pretty highly about the, pretty often about the high price that we're going to pay to follow him. I envisioned what it was like at one point when I saw Jesus standing on a mountain one day beginning to declare how difficult it was going to be to follow him, and he watched the audience begin to receive all that message, and then their eyes got pretty wide open as they realized, I didn't quite know that. Didn't quite think it was going to cost that much. And I've often wondered what it was like to see Jesus in that context, see them walk away one by one. But they did. They heard the high price of what it was going to cost to be a follower of Christ, and they didn't know if they wanted to pay that price, and so they began to walk away one by one. And you've often wondered who was left. But he looked down at the disciples, whether it was 12 or 70 or whomever, he looked down at them and said, are you leaving too? And Peter, the spokesman, who had always been a spokesman, said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the answers to life. And yet a few days later, he's going to deny he ever even knew Jesus. When Jesus said, you're going to follow me and pay a high price, and you're going to follow me and see some amazing things, I've often wondered what ran through their minds as now they're living it out. And they understand that there really is a high price to following Christ, and there is some unbelievable things that God is able to do. And so I'll tell you what, I'll do it no matter what. I'm not going to deny him anymore. The Spirit of God landed on me, and I'm not the same guy I was there. And I'm telling you, I'm going to follow him till death. And so he does. And what you see unfolding in these pages of Scripture that we've been in a few minutes ago, <clears throat> I can step up there. I don't think I could step down. I hate getting old. I'll be really honest with you. All week long, I get down on kids' level to just be able to talk with some of these kids, and I realize that when I'm down there, then I can't get back up without some help. These guys have been living it out. In these last couple of chapters that we've been in the last few weeks, they found themselves seeing God do some incredible things, a lame man walking. They've also found themselves in jail. They found themselves beaten and flogged and wondered if they would ever survive. And as a result of that, they keep on going. 
As a result of that, they continue to share. As a result of that, they continue to pray. As a result of that, they keep on doing what God's asked them to do. As a matter of fact, they pray that God will even do more, knowing the price they're going to have to pay. That's what happens when people allow themselves to be open to the Spirit of God, to say, God, I am yours. Everything I have, all that I own, every part of me is yours. Do with me what you want, but I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, knowing that you've already promised me you'll follow me to the ends of the earth. You'll never leave me or forsake me. You'll walk with me to heaven itself. So whatever this world can do to me, bring it on because I'm going to follow you forever, Jesus. And that's where these guys are at, and they're paying a pretty high price to do that. So at the end of chapter 4 and 5, where we left off last week, we found them after being beaten and jailed and flogged, being released from that. And what's fascinating to me that I have to point out this morning is what they do when they do get released. Verse 23 of chapter 4. Upon their release, Peter and John, 23 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts, Peter and John go back to their own people. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? kings of the earth take their stand the rulers gather together against the lord against the anointed one indeed herod and pontius pilate met together and the gentiles and the people of israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant jesus whom you anointed they did what your power and will had decided beforehand that is an unbelievably powerful verse don't ever forget that they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand would happen now lord consider their threats And enable your servants to speak your word boldly. Stretch out your hand and heal to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The very first thing they wanted to do is go back to church. The very thing they wanted to do is go back to their small group. The very first thing they wanted to do was to go back where the family of God could encourage them and uplift them. Now, I know I'm speaking to the, speaking to the choir because you're all here. But there are a lot of people who, in a number of ways, take periods of time, especially in the summer, and say, you know what? I go to church a lot, but, boy, for the whole summer, we're just going to go do this. And then in the fall, we'll come back. We really, really will. And, and many do, and I get that. But one of the things they miss when they do that, is the opportunity to gather every single week and get the wind put back in our sails. One of the things they miss is the opportunity to gather together with the family of God and give praise and adoration to the king of the universe together as a family of God. Can you do it on your own? Absolutely. But there's something unique, something amazing about gathering together as a family of God to give him praise and adoration, to be able to worship together. For some of you, and maybe just a few of you, but some of you have had a really difficult week. Life didn't go as you planned. Physically, things aren't going as you planned. Emotionally, things aren't going as you planned. Financially, things aren't like you wish they would be. Work's a bear. Your boss is a pain. Wouldn't be me, but somebody else I'm sure has that. And you... You desperately look forward to that one time a week where I can come together as a family of God and I can put all that behind me and I can just worship and adore and I can 
with the wind back in my sails and I know that it's going to be tough out there tomorrow when I go back to work, but there's something about this gathering that puts life and energy back into me. And I don't want to miss that. And so you come and you receive that, hopefully, and, and then it encourages you to go back out. We ministers are pretty naive. I've said that to our staff every once in a while. We'll say things to like, remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago and you're going, look, I just am lucky to get through yesterday. No, I don't remember what you told us two weeks ago. I don't remember that you told us that we ought to take our Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 4 and make sure we've read it all before we show up on Sunday. Look, I'm just lucky to get here dressed and the kids haven't dressed. And I know all of that. And sometimes we're so naive and we forget that your week is very different than ours. I spent all week on ministering to people in my office, preparing for the day, and obviously this week in an unusual way. And, and some of you are in very difficult circumstances. I never want you to take what happens on Sunday morning for granted. And I hope that what we do, there'll be times when the sermon is tough and hard for you to hear. Times when you won't feel lifted up. Times when you may not be encouraged. But hopefully most of the time you find yourself coming to this place where you do go out with the wind back in your sails and you feel like you can face life. And You've got somebody who prayed with you or for you. You found a friend who you knew knew what was going on in your life and you said, hey, I can't go into details, but man, am I going to face a tough week this week. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Now, maybe it's in your small group, and I hope it is. I love our small group. Been together for over three years, and there are people that I love and trust, and people who trust me, and we laugh together and cry together and share together, and and I hope you have found that. If not, we want to help you get connected and and find that place. And, And maybe for you it's not Sunday morning only, or it's not just your small group. Maybe it's that really precious, valuable friend. I love how it says they went back to their friends. If you have one of those in your life or you are one of those in, in someone else's life, I hope you feel and understand the value of that. To have that one person that you can intimately trust and you can share your absolute soul with. I can't go into any details, but it's so hard sometimes being in my position. Because it's very sometimes lonely to be able to know who you can share with and, and what you can share. And to be able to find that one or two really close, intimate friends where I can share my soul with. I've got two pastor friends who, who I can unload on. And, and I hope you have found that true in life. I love the fact that in the middle of their darkness, they find that place where it's safe, that place they can come to, that one who can encourage them. One of the reasons missionaries come home on a regular basis. Now, a lot of times they'll come home to say, look, you can't believe what God did with your investment. I want to share with you the people that came to Christ, the ministry that we were able to do, and and they'll be excited to share that. But some of them are coming home spent. I mean, flat out, given out. And they need a place or need an opportunity to come together and get energy and life put back into them. My wife and I are at a little bit of an unusual time in the last couple of weeks. We were literally morning and night for the, for the last 12 days, counting today. It may not seem like it to you. Somebody said it doesn't seem like it in the first service, but I'm, I'm spent. <laughs> I'm about out of gas. And it's been 12 days and nights. I can't even imagine sometimes what it's like for people to minister nonstop on a regular basis in difficult environments for two or three or four years and not see a lot happen and not see numbers come and not see growth and not see people come to faith in Christ. And they want to come home and they want to feel encouraged and they want to feel refreshed. I'll never forget a number of years ago in the old sanctuary back there, we had a 
mission conference, and there was a gal coming beside me, and we were getting ready to, to worship, and the first couple of songs went on. And, and I looked over at her, and tears were streaming down her face. And I said, are you okay? She said, you have no idea what it's like to sing in English. <laughs> I thought, are you kidding? I never would have thought of that. She said, I barely learned the language. And now all of a sudden I get to spend the next four, five, six months just worshiping God in English. And secondly, you have no idea how fun it is to come where there's life. Because I've been in a country that deals nothing with but death. Never underestimate relationships. That's one of the reasons that Hebrews 10 said, look, don't ever neglect the assembling of yourselves together. We define that, and the church has defined that in a dozen different ways and all of that, and it's really left pretty wide open. But I'm just saying to you, never, ever neglect what you can get and what you receive and the opportunity you have to gather together with family of God on a regular basis. You also notice what they did when they came together. You'll see it in this context here. They worshiped. They were reminded of God's sovereignty and God's grace. They reminded themselves of that. I think every once in a while we need to be reminded when things are tough and the way is dark, I've got to know that what I believe is true. I've got to know that even though I've been preaching the gospel and no one has responded, that what I said and what I've been called to do is true for some. And every once in a while, I just want to come together with the family of God and declare the glories of God and the wonders of God. Because to be honest with you, at work, I don't hear that. At work, I'm put down every day. At work, I'm demanded with so high of expectations that I don't think I'll ever meet him. At work, nobody loves God. Everybody hates me. And I just need to find that place where I'm reminded that sovereign God loves me, cares about me, even in the midst of my mess. As Justin said a moment ago, he loves me and adores me. I love the fact that they came together to do that. I also noticed in here that they didn't pray to have their circumstances changed. I thought that was interesting. Had I been them, I'd have said, God, go get them. Do you see what they did to me? Go get them. I'd have been like one of the disciples. Remember that time in, in Peter and John's? I thought it's always Peter. The time when, when the Samaritans kind of kicked Jesus out and Peter said, Hey, Jesus, I'll bet you can do this. Call down fire from heaven and kill them. I'd have done that. I, and here they are in this context, same Peter that said, Lord, I don't, want, I don't want them destroyed. I don't want our circumstances changed. I just want to be able to learn what you want to teach me through this process. I have it in your sermon notes this morning. I just find it fascinating that they asked God to empower them to make the best use of their circumstances. They asked for enablement, not escape. We want elimination. God wants transformation. We want our problems to be gone. Maybe not you, but I know I do. And God wants to use them to transform us into the image of his son. That's why James said, look, don't run from trouble. See it and understand it as God's way of shaping you and molding you into what he wants you to be. And sometimes you feel like you're on the potter's wheel and a wheel is spinning and it seems like life is out, life is out of control and you got a crack here and a rough spot there and, and, and you feel the hands of God every once in a while, but you don't know they're there. And then every so often, God reminds you that his grace is sufficient and he'll give you everything you need and he continues to shape you and form you. And every once in a while, you're able to look back at life and say, Father, I can't believe how strong you've made me in the midst of that darkness. I can't believe that I was able to make it and endure this far based on what I went through. Oh, God. Or maybe someone will come to you and say, look, I don't know how you've done it. 
I don't know how you've gotten through. I don't know how you've remained so strong, but I'm just awed at what you've learned from God and how deeply he's formed himself in you to make who you who you are. Could I spend some time with you? And they would have never asked you that otherwise had you not allowed yourself to be molded and shaped even in the midst of those really dark moments. Philip Brooks said, don't pray for tasks equal to your power, but power equal to your task." They didn't ask for protection. They asked for power. They didn't ask for fire from heaven to destroy the enemy, but power from heaven to preach the word of God and heal. What fascinates me is they prayed for more boldness and more opportunity to healing that caused their trouble to begin with. It's what got them in jail. And they said, God, will you allow that to happen more often? Will you give us more boldness to be able to pray, to be able to see you do some amazing things, more confident than when we reach down to that man who's lame to pick him up and have him walk? Give us that confidence and boldness. Help us to pray like we really believe two things that you hear and that you can answer. God, help us believe with that kind of depth. That when we pray, it's not perfunctory words, it's not a script, it's not something I learned as a child that I just now repeat as a pattern, but God help me to pour out my soul to you and believe that when I pray, you hear, and when I ask, you respond. That's why that note's in your bulletin. The Lord answers the prayer that we dare to ask and anticipate. They ask for healing, signs and wonders. When you hear that phrase... More signs and wonders. We have a number of things that run through our mind. Room shaking, everyone speaking in tongues, wind rushing, lame people walking. And, and a lot of times that does happen. When the Spirit of God lands on a group of people and make themselves available to Him, He shows up. And He shows up in really dramatic ways at times. But not always. And sometimes if we're only looking for those incredible moments and those spectacular ways that God works, we miss some other demonstrations of his power that aren't so dramatic. There are a couple of them here in this text. Look at verse 32. All the believers were one heart and mind. That's a bigger miracle than parting the Red Sea, if you know it. To get a group of believers from all walks of life, from different backgrounds and different places, these were Jews and Arabs coming together from North Africa, from the Middle East, who were all there at that particular time when the Spirit of God landed 50 days after the other celebration at Pentecost, and God landed and moved, and they were all together in one place with one heart and one mind. You want the miraculous? There it is. You get that many people from that many different backgrounds to act and pray as one, you've got to wonder. And it didn't happen because they all stood around the circle singing, we are one in the Spirit. We... It was the people of God who said, God, we're available to you. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how to do this. We're not sure where we're going to go from here. But boy, we would love for you to land on us. And he did. And God showed up and they were just simply together in one place. Whether you believe it or not, this church is a wonder. When I want to ask you a question. You cannot believe what it looked like in the first service when I asked this question and you responded. How many of you sitting here right now have not been CMA all of your life? Raise your hand. Keep the hands up. Now, the rest of you who've been CMA all your life, look around the room. We're the minority. (laughs) 
We're the minority. You take that many people from that many different denominational backgrounds and bring them together as one as a family of God, and brothers and sisters, you've got a miracle. You've got a wonder. That many people from all walks of life and all different backgrounds and all different theological perspectives who all come together as a family of God, the majority of the people that stand in membership are not and have not been CMA all their lives. You can't imagine the questions that I'm asking and the backgrounds that they bring when they come into that class from all different walks of life and they decide that they want to be a part of this church and they say they want to join and they come and walk through the process and they are part of our family of God. And when I look at all those backgrounds and I think of where they've come from, I'm awed. See, so often we look for the big, we look for the powerful demonstrations of what God does. We look for the miraculous and sometimes when we do that, we miss Some of the major miracles God does simply by reuniting or bringing together and unifying a diverse group of people. Sometimes we have to decide if we want that to happen just as much as the dramatic. I hear people all the time saying, why don't we see the things that we see in the book of Acts? Why don't we see that demonstration of God's amazing power and the miraculous healings and on and on the list goes. And and to be honest with you, we do. In one way or the other, it still happens. Not always here, but many other places, and many times here. But so often we look for the wow instead of miss the moments. Bringing people together from all walks of life, together as a family of God, as a moving of the Spirit. Can you imagine a church? Just think with me for a moment. Can you imagine a church with no more comparing, no more competing, and no more criticism? (laughs) That would take a miracle from God to be able to do. There's another miracle that happened here. It's in verse 32 to 34. With great power, verse 33, all the believers were one mind. This is what it says. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. You want a miracle, brother? That's it. You know, we make fun of our kids all the time. You throw a a little toy in front of three-year-olds, and all five of them are going to claim it's theirs, right? But then we get to be adults, and we hold on to stuff pretty tight. And it's ours. I work for it. I'm an American man. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I came into this world. I worked with this world. You know, and the list is endless. Everything you have comes to you from God. The very breath that you just took in right now came as a gift from God. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared what they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there wasn't a needy person among them. From time to time, and you're going to see that verse has to be remembered because of next week's contest, but from time to time, those who owned a land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale to the apostle and laid it to their feet. You want to wonder? You want a sign? A group of people gathered together and loved people and used things. Instead of loving things and using people. God had given them the freedom to let go of their grip on their possessions. That takes the work of the Spirit. They saw the needs around them. They recognized the needs of people. And it doesn't come because you coerce them or guilt them into it. It comes when the Spirit of God lands on your life. And you become extremely aware of the people around you. Months ago, a number of, uh, a number of months ago, I got an email from someone that comes here on a regular basis that said, I don't remember when it was, but there came a point when you asked people around us to pray for a specific need. And so I had someone near me 
pray for a particular need, and I asked for one thing. And i got to write you now and tell you how God answered that one thing. That that person who stood beside me, who didn't know me, who leaned his hands on me and prayed for me, and how God answered. Those are awesome when it happens that way, but it's even more awesome when we as the people of God just happen to see somebody's face and eyes and realize they're really going through a tough week. Or we know they're a friend and we say, how you doing? And they're honest enough to say, not really well. How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Need a financial lift? What do you need? What can I do? That's a wonder when the Spirit of God lands on people who are just simply not coerced into doing it, not guilted into doing it, not starving children and sad faces, but just who say, you know what? Everything I have is God's. So God, what do you want? How can I share it? What, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted into my care? Many will say that the signs of the Spirit of God landing on a group of people are a number of things. But in your sermon notes, I have three that I really believe it is. Some of the evidences of people being filled with the Spirit of God is a desire for unity, a love for people, and a loose grip on possessions. Where we love people and things get used. Amy Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, wrote one day, Right before he began this ministry, he said, I saw a sea of humanity literally coming to the shores of New York City from all walks of life and all countries and all nations and all backgrounds. And I just simply wanted to invite them to find the Jesus that I found. So I started to invite them to our church only to find that these really nice religious people got upset because they didn't want their church pews to get dirty. And out of that became the Christian and Missionary Alliance. But I've been to churches that want to have their buildings preserved for posterity's sake instead of being used for the glory of God and ministry of people. Not abused, but used. One of the things I love about this, it's overwhelming at times, is this building is used literally almost every day of the week. People from all walks of life, from ministries that don't even have, or agencies that aren't really a ministry but just want to use our building and our facilities, and we love doing that. When the Spirit of God lands on a group of believers... People get loved and things get used. You see it happening over and over again in this book. In all cases, people who sought God, totally depended on Him, expected Him to respond to their prayers, saw the Spirit of God land. And they prayed for power and boldness. Not for their circumstances to be changed, but that God would use them in the midst of those difficult moments. One thing that you'll notice about Pentecost is that it wasn't unique. We think it is and we stand it like it is, but it's not. It was not a one-time event. It was the first great outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on redeemed men and women. And you'll see it all the way through the book of Acts and all the way till yesterday and the day before and tomorrow when the people of God gathered together, letting go of their lives, letting go of their stuff, letting go of everything in the control of their lives and letting Him use them in amazing ways. I've said it before, but if you have that sign in your life or on your car that says, God is my co-pilot, switch seats. Because you want God in control. And you want to let him do whatever he wants. And he wants to do that. And when the people of God, however small or large that may be, are willing to say, God, I don't know exactly what you're going to do. I don't know where it's going to go. But, man, I'm yours. So whatever you want to do and however you want to use me and however you want to use my stuff, that'd be awesome. Father, I love Sunday. 
I don't want to miss it for anything. I know I'm going on vacation. I know these things happen, and that's certainly a part of life. But, man, I, I don't want to miss my small group. I don't want to miss Sunday school class. I don't want to miss youth group. I don't want to miss Sunday. I love being together with the family of God, and I never want to take what I've been given and what I have for granted. These people prayed like God would work, came from a difficult circumstance of life, from the battles of life, and they ran to God for a fresh filling, and they say God, saw God answer. Some of us are here needing that this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, gives us permission to ask. So what I'd love for you to do this morning is ask. What do you want God to do? What would you like him to do in your life, in your group, in your family, or maybe here? Ask. Father, as we bow our hearts before you this morning, you know who we are. And you see us from all walks of life and all different backgrounds. Some this morning who are really going through difficult, emotional, financial, relational difficulty. Who just for this moment may need to specifically know that you're there. Circumstance may not change tomorrow, but they need to know that you know. And so hear them. Whatever your need is this morning, I just ask you in these quiet couple of moments to share it with God, to tell Him your heart, and to ask. Father, it makes me smile to know that the God of the universe hears us. I don't know how you hear us individually. I don't know how you do that. But I'm absolutely certain that you do. And that every single person who asked you to do something this morning or sought your face in prayer, you heard. Give us a peace to know that that really is true. And that you've already begun to work on some things that we haven't even seen results to yet. As we leave this place, like those kids that left the other night, may we shine. May the light and love of Jesus so flow out of us, even in the midst of our difficulty, that those who don't know you will want to know what made a difference in our lives. For these kids that have come to faith in Christ this week, I trust that you will continue to bless them and allow them to grow in wisdom, deepening their walk with you. For others of us who are just going through some really deep waters, may you work in really profound ways. Thank you for this place that we can come to, learn from, be excited in, and go out as we minister to those around us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' powerful name.